You're listening to the Living Presence Podcast, exploring faith, meeting the world, from East Gwillimbury, Ontario. Hello and welcome to Episode 3 of the Living Presence Podcast for what was supposed to be Friday, February 9th, but is instead coming out on Sunday, February 11th. My name is Brianne Swan, and I am the Community Minister with the Living Presence Ministry, an emergent ministry of the United Church of Canada in East Gwillimbury. And my apologies for being a couple of days late with this episode. My family's been struggling through about a fifth disease, which sounds way deadlier than it is. It's just a common childhood illness, but it means that my kids were home from school and kids are loud, so not a whole lot of time for recording. But everybody's much better now and sleeping in their own beds again, so hopefully we're back on schedule for next week. On this episode, we'll be listening to the story of Jesus transforming in front of his friends and the foreshadowing of what is to come. This is the final week before we move into the season of Lent, where our readings will start dealing with Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem and his eventual death. I'll be talking about the night my first son was born, and reflect on how when things are overwhelming and stressful, we are often drawn to doing something rather than simply being. We'll hear music from apparently the world's only female queen tribute band, the Killer Queens, as well as Toronto folk group Wool and Howl. Finally, we'll sit with a poem written by Star Blossom Goddess, who has a special offer for our listeners, which I will describe in the show notes for this episode on the Living Presence Ministry website. This week, I've been especially saddened by a story coming out of Edmonton. Mark Guevara was a lay employee with the Catholic Archdiocese of Edmonton. I say was because Mark was fired this week. He posted the following letter on his Facebook page and has given permission that his story be shared widely. I've edited it slightly and only for length. Dear friends, As some of you may know, two months ago I was investigated by my employer, the Catholic Archdiocese of Edmonton. I was investigated for two things. One, my involvement with the formation of an LGBTQ Catholic prayer and support group called CORE. And two, the allegation that I have a male partner and a daughter. The investigator relayed concern about the group having been formed without approval of the Archbishop. I had a few reasons for not getting approval. First, it was still in the trial period. We didn't know if it was going to have a future. Second, I didn't feel it was necessary to ask permission to start a prayer and support group. So many small support and prayer groups exist throughout the Archdiocese with no need for permission, and it is well within my vocation as a lay Catholic to discern and respond to the need of people to encounter God. Regarding the second point of investigation, I was told that since I started doing ministry eight years ago, I have had both lay and clergy opposition. 
Essentially, I have been able to work through the years because I have kept matters private. However, through the years, my opponents have been carefully scrutinizing my life and with the formation of CORE, found their reason to formally lodge a complaint. I was asked directly if I am in a relationship with a male and having a daughter. I refused to answer and I gave my reasons. Number one, if I am so carefully scrutinized, what is to stop all church workers from being scrutinized? Two, why is my sin grounds for dismissal while other sins are not? Many employees of the Archdiocese consistently object to certain church teachings, for example, contraception. Others are not even Catholic. So why are some beliefs casually overlooked? I believe this is due to homophobia. Number three, if we are to hire and fire people, shouldn't we use Jesus' criteria? Who shall inherit the kingdom of God but those who serve the least of these? I have served faithfully, helping those in need of God, consistently giving in a spirit of compassion and patience. If we are to judge one another, should it not be for ways we have served like Christ? At the investigation, I asked for a dialogue with my archbishop. Months later, I was called for another meeting. There, the investigator stated that the archbishop had refused to meet with me and that I am to answer the question of whether or not I am in a relationship before the investigator and my priest on behalf of the archbishop. Again, I refused to answer. About a month later, Tuesday, February 6th, I was called into my priest's office in the presence of the head of human resources for the archdiocese and was terminated on the grounds that I am in a relationship. They took my refusal to answer as sufficient evidence to prove that I am in one. Wherever you stand on the same-sex issue, I believe my termination is unjust. I believe the denial of a prayer and support group for LGBTQ Catholics is unjust, and I believe being terminated for conscientiously and respectfully disagreeing with a church teaching is a slippery slope for all church workers, and therefore unjust. Worse still, it sends a damaging message to all LGBTQ Catholics that they have no place in the church. This is the end of Mark's letter. It's also the kind of stuff that makes my friends think I'm crazy for being part of a church. They don't have any problem with Jesus. They like Jesus. They just don't like the people who say they follow the teachings associated with Jesus, yet do such un-Jesus-like things. Because throughout the Gospels, Jesus is consistently on the side of those who have been othered by his culture and society. So filled with righteous indignation, I started searching YouTube for some rock music to channel my frustration. And I came upon the Killer Queens, a San Francisco Queen cover band. You can check them out at www.thekillerqueens.com. This is their version of I Want to Be Free, with the video posted in our show notes.
My name is Norm Seeley, and I'm standing on a corner of a residential area in Pickering, Ontario. It's just ahead of 9 a.m., and people are almost at work. Kids are almost at school, and the snow is falling, transforming everything around me to white. And I'm reading Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. That was Norm Seeley reading the story of Jesus' transfiguration. And I love that Norm pointed out that the kids were almost at school and the adults were almost at work, because this whole story is sort of sitting at a precipice. I mentioned in the opening of today's show that next week we are about to enter the season of Lent, and we'll be spending the next six weeks hearing the stories leading up to Jesus' state-sanctioned execution. Now, so far, this podcast has followed the Revised Common Lectionary, which is a three-year cycle of scheduled readings. One of the challenges that comes with following the lectionary is that it jumps around a lot. Last week, we were with Jesus and his disciples in a synagogue, casting out a demon, which was his first public act of ministry. Today, we've skipped ahead and are right smack in the middle of Mark's story. So where are we here? Jesus brings Peter, James, and John up the mountain with him. Jesus is transfigured, which is really such a Christianese kind of word. We can also just as easily say that he was transformed before them. White clothes, all shiny. Moses and Elijah show up. Law and prophet, past and future, Although Mark wasn't specifically writing to Jewish people, most of his community would have understood the immense significance of Moses and Elijah showing up for the party. I love the honesty of the disciples' response, particularly Peter's. They were terrified, which seems completely reasonable. And like other people I know who have trouble with big feelings and uncertainty— The only response Peter comes up with is to do something, or in this case, to build something. My husband and I were laughing with each other about this passage earlier this week because it reminded us of an evening exactly six years ago where everything went crazy, and the thing that helped him to keep it together was having a concrete, specific, practical task to do. This was the night I went into labor with my first son. Now, I love birth stories. 
Seriously, if anybody knows of a podcast out there where families share how their little people entered into the world, I would listen to that every week. So if anybody wants to tell me their birth story, feel free to send it along and I will read it gladly. My own strategy for dealing with chaos and uncertainty is to create for myself the illusion of control. So I plan. And let me tell you, I planned the crap out of my first labor. Home birth, midwives. I knew what I wanted to eat, what I wanted to drink, scented candles, two separate music playlists, calm ambient music for the first stage, and then a playlist of superhero theme songs for when it was time to push. It was my dream that son number one would enter the world accompanied by the John Williams Superman theme. Here's your baby. One of the central points for our labor plan was a birthing pool set up in our living room. I'd watched approximately 500 hours of water birth videos on YouTube and was convinced the warm water was going to help me through the pain, and it did. Anytime the midwives asked me to leave the pool, I wanted to swear at them. But in order to have a water birth, you need to have water. And that was my husband's job, to get hot water from the tap into the pool. We bought a hose, and it was a pretty long hose, but it was also a pretty long way from our living room to the plumbing. A few days before I went into labor, I asked my husband, do you think we should check to make sure the hose is long enough? It's fine. It'll be fine. It's totally fine. And I was content with that. If he was sure it would be okay, I could be sure it would be okay. I just had to worry about the baby part. And then I felt my labor starting. I puttered around downstairs for a bit. Candles, check. Music, check. Coconut water, check. Pool inflated, check. My husband came downstairs and I confirmed our baby was going to arrive that night. He said he was ready, but looked more like Kermit the Frog in The Muppet Show, hands waving frantically in the air. Because it's scary. I think it must be so frightening for pregnant women's partners to watch their loved ones in pain and there being very little for them to do about it. But my husband's job was the water. He unpackaged the hose, hooked it up to the faucet, brought the hose into the living room, except it didn't reach. The hose didn't reach the pool. My husband looked at me panicked, but pulled himself together before assuring me, it's fine, it's going to be fine. I can still fill this pool. I suspect the look on my face at this point was something like, dude, you had one job. 
He looked through the kitchen and found our canning pot, purchased when I thought I'd have all kinds of time to do canning while I was home from work and looking after a baby. Clearly, I was delusional, because to this day, this pot has been used exactly three times, twice to fill a birthing pool and once to boil corn. So as we waited for the midwives and my contractions became more and more intense, my husband focused on filling the pot and emptying the pot, filling the pot and emptying the pot. And when the hot water tank was depleted, he literally started boiling water to help this birth along. The more intense and uncertain the night became, the more my husband clung on to his job. In one sense, it was a good thing that the hose didn't reach because having a concrete, specific task kept him focused. At one point, our midwife suggested the water in the pool was getting a bit too cool, but before she'd even finished the sentence, my husband was up and back in the kitchen. Perfect! I can do that! I don't actually think the water was getting cold. Our midwife was just trying to help him out. Because having something to do kept him steady. It kept him from becoming completely overwhelmed. And it gave him a specific role in the narrative of how our son came into the world. And I wonder if Peter was feeling the same thing. It is good for us to be here. If you'd like, I will make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not only is Peter leaning towards doing well amidst all of the intense feelings that must have come with this scene, he's also trying to mark the spot, to mark this place, perhaps even his place. He wants to stay. He wants to stay in that spot. But this is Mark's gospel, and Jesus doesn't stick around any place too long in this version of his story. Jesus doesn't even answer Peter. He doesn't say anything until the voice of God proclaims Jesus as his son. Don't be afraid. Get up. We gotta go. Our ministry... Our mission is down there with the people. It's not up here. We have to go back. There is still much work to be done and much for you to learn before I am no longer with you. Because, again, this passage is a turning point. Things are about to get hard. And perhaps it is only the visceral understanding of Jesus' true identity that will get his friends through the coming tragedy. Today, the day I'm recording this reflection, my family celebrated our son's sixth birthday. I think one of the reasons I love birth stories so much is because they mark a very sacred space and time. And it's important to mark these special moments. The birthday parties, the holiday dinners. But we can't stay there. We can't linger. 
Because the real work isn't the big stuff. It's the day-to-day grind. My husband and I mark that day with this story. But the real work started after the midwives left. The -the round-the-clock nursing. The sudden development of a seemingly never-ending anxiety about another human's well-being. The first trip to the emergency room. The moment when I realized I'd been wearing a shirt soaked in pee all day, but I didn't even care because of all the bodily fluids I dealt with on a daily basis, urine was the least of my problems. New smiles. Punamis. Teething. Am I holding him too much? Am I not holding him enough? Him learning to say mama. Him learning to say, I don't like you, mama. Adjusting to a new brother. Hot dogs and craft dinner for supper because I'm too tired to make anything else. Rushing off to swimming classes. Snuggling together on the couch after a long, sad day at school. Parenting is hard. It's big, uncertain, and chaotic, and sometimes frightening work. It's not usually glamorous or exciting, but it's important, and it's vital. And we gotta be there to do it, down in the trenches. It's important to mark the milestones, but it's even more important to live into the necessity of being present to the needs of those who depend on us. To recognize the light shining in the valleys, and not only on the mountaintops. We cannot stay there. It's time to go. I whispered to Sun, Won't you come out and play with me as I gracefully dance below your rays of light? The Sun smiled, answering divinely as it played peekaboo with clouds. I whispered to Moon, Won't you come and play with me? as I delicately sing, sparking like another star in your rope of diamonds. The moon smiled, answering with light as it played vibrating strong in the night sky. I whispered to my dreams, won't you come and play with me as I may celebrate life with gratitude? The heart answered in rhythmic song as I felt a blanket of miracles emerge. That was Star Blossom Goddess's poem, I Whisper. A link to her poetry is listed with the show notes on the Living Presence Ministry website. Our second song this week is by Toronto folk rock group Wool and Howl.
You can find them online at www.woolandhowl.com. And this is their song Shining Through from their 2010 self-titled album. Digging a hole My first backyard Deep in the snow Too high I'm laying inside All of my stars And my broke guitars For I wake up in the and dark Haunted by the light in the yard Shining
each episode, the Living Presence Podcast offers an opportunity for listeners to contribute to our Love for the World segment, where the worldwide community can lift up the people and places in need of alliance, awareness, and hope. Let us know who and where is on your mind this week. You can record your shout-out with your smartphone and email it to hi at livingpresenceministry.org. Or you can leave a voicemail at area code 289-903-0019. Your responses will be added to the show, and we are grateful for your contribution. Hi, so uh, Brianne asked me if I had anything that I thought needed some lifting up or some love this week, and these are the things that came to my mind. Um, Thing one is just survivors of suicide and uh, anybody who's grieving. I feel like, yeah, we all need a little patience for that space. And then um, thing two was for all of the women who've been disbelieved and maybe even vilified for it. And for all of us who have been taught to disbelieve and discredit ourselves and for all of the people in our lives who are living through that, living through realizing that they they don't have devalued people they love. And then the other thing that I thought about was just... uh, All the girls and women who are left out of stories, all of the stories that are all about men and boys and how that impoverishes us all. So those are some places I feel like we could hold an attention. All right. Thanks. Bye. My name is Francis, and this week I would like to hold in prayer all those who need to make a decision this week to leave or to stay to build up or to break down, to follow an intuition or listen to the better angels, whether to push, send or not, whether to help or to hold or to hurt, to scream or to remain silent, whatever your decision, whatever your path, know that you are loved. Thank you to Francis and Ailey for calling in this week. In addition, we have some people who have emailed or left Facebook comments. Anne in East Gwillimbury would like to lift up those recently bereaved and those experiencing the sudden grief that wells up years later at the sound of a tune, a birthday, or just out of nowhere. Morgan in Toronto asks that we pray for those in the city's gay village after this week's news that more bodies have been found and linked to Bruce MacArthur. We pray especially for the family and friends of Andrew Kinsman, whose remains were identified. Although obviously a tragic outcome, I hope knowing has brought at least some sense of closure. Janet Newmarket has asked that we keep in mind those who are displaced and longing to return to their homes but cannot because at home no longer exists. And I would like to offer prayers of support 
from Mark Guevara, who was fired by the Archdiocese of Edmonton this week for refusing to answer whether he is in a same-sex relationship. I hope that his ministry to LGBTQ Catholics is affirmed, and that we will soon see a time when we never again read about somebody losing their job for reasons related to homophobia. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next Friday with the story of Noah, his ark, a lot of rain, and God's covenant with their people. We'll discuss promises and responsibilities while listening to new music and poetry. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. is brought to you by the Living Presence Ministry, a community ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find us online at www.livingpresenceministry.org.